But then the third one, and this is where you know I don't claim to be an expert on um, quite yet, is the emotional type of enough. And this is what's so driven by like the world around us, and you know, especially with social media, of where we see people's curated best life, you know, posted at. Um, there's always somebody with seemingly more, you know, than us, and, and that makes us want to get more. As professional financial advisors, we strive to build a brand that portrays mastery. The tragedy is that we can easily lose track of what true genius is, the ability to do the common uncommonly well. Finance, just like fitness, is built on simple, functional principles. You pick things up, you put them down, you get stronger, right? Functional finance is about getting back to the basics diving into those fundamentals and resisting the urge to chase the noise. Jess Voss is a retirement income certified professional and the vice president of brand partnerships at Alpha Architect. Due to industry regulations, Jess will not discuss any of Alpha Architect's funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by Jess and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Alpha Architect or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For more information, please visit www.alphaarchitect.com. All right. Hey there. I, I am super excited today to have Jeremy Walter with me on the podcast. My name is Jess Bost. I am with Alpha Architect. Uh, Jeremy is the owner of his own RIA, Fident Financial. Did I say that correctly? Yep. Yep. Uh, he's a CFP and a CKA, which I intend to ask him about later because I don't know what that means. Um, and I am excited to have him on here today. We plan to chat about one of his favorite topics, one that I like to think um, he has really minted into the world of finance, which is the idea of what is enough. Uh, and so we're going to kick it off first, though, with my favorite uh, topic of conversation, which is around your exercise habits. So uh, I'll ask a few questions. You give me some answers. We'll pop through a few of these. And if there's anything you know, we decide to add to the conversation kind of spontaneously, we'll do that too. Don't do any squats though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so favorite exercise. Um, no, it's funny you say squats because I think it would be. Um, yeah. Which is kind of funny to think about because I hated squats like back in high school. Um, they were just like my least favorite exercise. And now that, and it's only been like really recent, like the past like, I don't know, nine to 10 months, I've gotten back into, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, more core building. I was like, man, squats are so great. Um, and so I like squats now and I used to not like them. Oh, that's awesome. Well, you know I love squats. So. Yeah, I do. Congratulations. We can <laughs> we can continue this conversation. <laughs> I didn't I get fired yet. Yeah, what? I didn't get fired from the interview yet. You didn't get fired from the interview yet. <laughs> um, and in fact, I think your least favorite exercise, we're going to continue with the conversation into that because I think we, we're probably on the same page there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the my least favorite um, is, is, is running. Like, I, I hate running um i played football growing up and i feel like 
I mean, I guess it's not entirely. Some of my football friends are like crazy endurance runners, but like football players, we like sprint for a couple seconds and then we rest and then we sprint and then we rest. Um, and man, I cannot get into running. I, I did run a half marathon, gosh, a, a long time ago, um, but didn't enjoy any of the training, didn't enjoy the race itself. Like there was zero enjoyment of like the entire, I'm like, I, this isn't for me. Um, a long time to not be happy. <laughs> it, it, this is miserable. Um, so good friends who are like crazy, crazy runners and they're like, oh man, you know, I can't believe you don't like it. I'm like, good for you. I, I can't stand it. So running is the least favorite by far. I'm with you on that. All right. Uh, pre-workout. So I work from home and I like to work out um, from home as well. And so my like pre-workout is, is actually like doing a little bit of work. Um, so I'll get some work done, you know, related to the business. Um, and uh, that actually kind of gets me in like the mindset of wanting to then go um, work out. So then... Uh, yeah, so I'll do a little bit of work in my workout clothes and then jog downstairs and get the actual workout in. All right, PR that you're proud of. That's a tough one. Um, all right, I'm going to say this, but it's with a disclosure in that this was not officially timed. Um <laughs> We were getting my nine-year-old kind of ready for his upcoming football season. And, um, you know, even at this age, they're running like 40 times and shuttles and then, you know, everything else. And we just had no idea where he, you know, was going to slot in here. So we we're working with him, you know, on 40 stances and, you know, really getting off the from the start. And we're doing it at like our, our high school track. And... Uh, you know, had the 40 yards measured out and my wife was there, um, with us and I was like, I'm, I wonder what I run, you know, my 40 in, uh, like I knew what I ran it in high school. Um, so I played, again, I played school? football. So in, in high school I ran like a, I think I were the fastest time I ran was like a four, five, nine or something like that. It was just under four, six. Um, and, uh, so we ran on it and, and the first time, um, I sprinted, you know, and she, you know, had, had the stop clock and I get done and like, I felt like I ran it pretty fast and I was like, what was it? And she's like, four, four. I'm like, no chance. Like that, that is not accurate. Like we, we need to run this again. Um, and so I ran it again. I ran like a four, six, um, which like, I felt really, really good. I was like, man, like, you know, for being 38, like I didn't lose a whole lot, um, from, Actually, I think the reality was I did lose a lot, and then the past couple of years I've gotten a little bit of better shape, and I think I maybe got back to my high school speed, which is which is fun. So I'm curious to get like it actually officially timed, but that's kind of fun. That's awesome. I'm gonna credit it to this to the squats. <laughs> All right, yeah, I think it is. Like my core is definitely a lot stronger than it used to be. Yeah. No, that's super fun. All right, that's a good one. In financial services, we complicate things a lot, right? So. In financial services, there's just so many layers of being able to help someone with their finance that sometimes we get caught in the in the noise, right? Instead of really focusing around the basics. And so this principle of virtuosity that really CrossFit introduced to me in the beginning was this idea of doing the common and commonly well hmm. and being able to master the basics 
before we allow ourselves to kind of work into some of the minutia of movement. And as I started to build my financial services practice, that was something that I kept coming back to was people don't know how to save. Mm-hmm. People don't like, they don't, they don't even understand what an IRA is. They don't un, like when we use these financial terms in conversations with them, they fake their level of uh, knowledge because they don't want to ask questions. They don't feel comfortable asking questions sometimes about the things that about, about words over and over and over again. And I, and I, we had that experience in CrossFit cause we use a lot of acronyms in CrossFit and you know, people also, it goes, it, it's difficult for them to understand those things. So this idea of virtuosity, doing the common uncommonly well, your principle of enough takes this big wide world of finance and shaves it down to just three simple pieces of feeling and when, you know, how to feel and how to know when you have enough. And I just thought that was so powerful because it helps someone really sift through their values Mm. uh, and which is the beginning of a financial plan. You know, you can't really understand your goals until you know what's important to you. So, um, you know, the, the concept itself, just tell us a little bit more about that. And then I know there's some pieces of enough that we can get into, but just how did you, how did you get to this whole idea of enough? Yeah. Um, I think we, we use the word enough a lot in, in our industry, you know, saying, okay, you know, you have enough to retire. You have enough to, you know, hit your, your kids' education goals. You have enough for a down payment, you know, on, uh, on the home. When I really first started unpacking this, it was when I was thinking of like, what's enough for, um, for, for me. And, you know, I'm 38. So like from an accumulation standpoint, like I, I I'm not, you know, ready to retire, you know, to, to tomorrow. Okay. When I originally launched my firm, it was like a very clear, very clear goal of like, I'm going to grow to 75 households um, and then stop uh, and recognize the autonomy that, you know, that I can choose to do that. When I'm looking at enough, I'm measuring it from an income standpoint. It's like, okay, we know what our retirement goals are. We know what, you know, we want to provide for our kids. We know what type of lifestyle that we want to be able to live. And um, honestly, you know, the business is at a place where that's providing um, for us. So in order for me to grow more, I would have to do more. Um, you know, I'd have to work more, I'd have to hire somebody. And it would require more of me for an upside that doesn't, that that, that wasn't really worth it. You know, I look at my young kids and, um, like they're only going to be this age one time. And, you know, my oldest is already 12. She's in middle school and, uh, you know, we still have a great relationship with her, but dad and mom are not the number one cool person that, you know, and in her mind, you know, as we were a couple of years ago, we have a 13 year old, so we 13 year old girl, so we get it. Yeah. Yep. 
And so I really want to maximize this time, um, you know, with them and defining enough for us meant that that means I don't have to take on, you know, as many clients. It means I don't have to work as many hours and I can, and I don't do this perfectly, but rechannel that time, you know, into them, um, and, you know, be supportive to my wife and, uh, you know, really make the most of this time. Like I can always go earn, earn more money down the road. Um, but I only have this small window with my kids right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, so, it, I mean, it sounds to me what I hear you saying is that the value of enough is the sifter for the decisions and first identifying that. And then after identifying that it was kind of this trial and error of which I think is important for everybody to understand. Like you, even you said, I got to 75 and it was like, is this enough? You mm -hmm. know, so trial and eventually error. Yeah, no, it is enough. The, anything more than that is beyond what I want for my life. Yep. But it always came back to sifting it through that value of enough. Yep. And that was, you know, it sounds like it was pretty helpful to, to drive those decisions. Yeah. And it's like you said earlier on, um, you know, good financial decisions are made out of being really clear on what your values are. And we can't really set our goals or, you know, much less um, create directive financial decisions unless we know what those values are. And one of my core family, one of my core values is family. And I don't just want to say that, like, I want there to be meat and I want my calendar and my checkbook, you know, to actually reflect the fact that that's a value um, of mine. And so that played very heavily into this, you know, whole notion of what enough is. And, um, I always like to disclose, you know, that this, this is what works, you know, for, for me. And if someone else is, you know, listening to this, or as I've talked with, you know, countless other friends about what enough looks like, like it's different. Like some people really have, you know, that drive and they might have better, time management systems, you know, where they can continue to work a lot of hours and not neglect, um, you know, their, their family, or maybe they don't even have kids, uh, you know, at this stage in life, uh, you know, everything's different. My, <laughs> I want to call it my mission, but like my encouragement to everyone. So, Hey, you know, just spend a little bit of time of reflecting, like what does enough look like for you? Because our culture as, as a whole is always going to push, you know, more, 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 you know, more square footage in your home, you know, more vacations, you know, nicer cars. Uh, there's always this, we always look, it's like, okay, whatever our net worth is, whatever our income, we're always going to look at like one or two or three levels up above that. Um, that that's kind of you know the reality of our culture. And then in our industry as well, like, a lot of us come from a sales background, you know, whether that's with a broker dealer or, or whatever, where it's always moving forward. Like whatever your production was last quarter or last year. Okay, great. There's your new baseline and here's what, you know, it needs to be now. And as many amazing marketing um, and coaching and growth programs that are out there, I mean, it's kind of easy within our advisory industry to just kind of get sucked into saying like, Okay, like we're in perma growth mode, and I was like, hey, maybe that's 
good, you know, for you, but just examine what's the default setting, you know, is that switch on or off, um, for, for you and just make it an intentional decision instead of a default decision. Yeah. And we talk a lot about in our firm, like sustainable growth or Mm -hmm. sustainable activity. And so, I mean, even in the gym, I mean, it's not like I'm ever going to stop going to the gym, you know? Mm -hmm. So I've got this timeline, this indefinite timeline, right. Of activity in the gym. So it's not like I get to a point and I've got enough and then I stop. And so, yeah, so it sounds like, yeah, probably in that moment where you got to 75 and you're like, I don't know if this is enough. And you went beyond that and it was like, Whoa, that, that level of activity was not sustainable for me, for my family and my values and my, you know, what I want to do here. So I got to back that off and figure out how to achieve enough through a sustainable amount of activity. Yep. So yeah. Cool. Well, I think the, that idea of enough breaks down for you, right? Into three. Yeah. And you know, it, it was interesting as I started sharing this idea with, um, with others. I mean, I, I wrote a, a blog post that, you know, seemed to garner a lot of attention. I'll drop that in the show notes. Yeah. Awesome. Um, that was really interesting in that it helped me, and I, I want to be careful on my language here, but um, it helped me recognize like a, a point of. Uh, privilege maybe that you know that that I came from of the very concept of enough being a positive versus a negatively charged term and so you know Tyrone Ross and I actually had a really good conversation uh, about what enough you know means and you know it was interesting to hear him say it's like you know like he, he shared this publicly but um, him growing up, the idea of enough was measured of like, do we have enough to pay rent? You know, do we have enough to, you know, keep the lights on? Do we have enough food, you know, to get through the week? Like it was fear kind of exactly. Um, and so, you know, he was, he was frank with me and he says, Hey, look, like when I hear the word enough, like my guard goes up and, and, uh, I was like, that's super interesting because like, again, you know, I, I didn't, I had, you know, relatively abundant lifestyle growing up. Um, that wasn't something that, you know, I necessarily, um, thought of. And so this concept of, of enough started to evolve a little bit. Um, and how I continued to evolve in a thing, I was like, you know, there's really three types of, of enough. Like there's, you know, the, the essentials enough. And, and, and what I mean by that is just, do we have enough to keep the lights on? Do we have enough to keep, you know, a roof over our heads? Do we have enough food, enough clothing, like the essential baseline enough. And there's a lot of people who, you know, really struggle with even, even getting to, to, to that point. The majority of people who, you know, I'm talking with like, they, that's not an issue. Like that's, they don't even think about that. Like it, it's, they're, they're wondering what to do with the excess of retirement savings or 529 savings or, you know, whatever else. Um, and that's where like the second stage uh, of, of enough comes in and it was called like the spreadsheet number. So if the first line's essential um, enough, the next one 
would be established enough. And that's the one that we can quantify and, you know, and, and what we quantified of saying, okay, if our income is this, we know that our lifestyle and our goals you know, require this and we've got enough from that. So we can, in case of me, so we can choose you know, not to take on new clients, not to proactively you know, grow my RIA to you know, what I potentially could grow it to. Um, that was like the spreadsheet number. And that's the number that I think a lot of advisors, um, you know, help their clients quantify, especially, you know, I think the one we do most often is, is retirement of saying, okay, we have enough assets to provide income for the next 25 or 30 years or 40 years or whatever the case is. Um, and it's not, it's not just enough income to keep the lights on, right? It's the things that... Yeah. So it's, it's, we've got the essentials covered, but then we also have a whole bunch of not just, you know, needs, but a whole bunch of wants of saying, okay, I want to go on this type of vacation. You know, I want to afford this type of car. I want to give, um, you know, generously to this type of organization or this amount. Um, no, not just our essentials, but the vast majority of our desires, you know, are, are included um, with that, but not to an infinite degree. But then the third one, and this is where, you know, I don't claim to be an expert on um, quite yet, is the emotional type of enough. And this is what's so driven by like the world around us. And, you know, especially with social media of where we see people's curated best life, you know, posted at, um, there's always somebody with seemingly more, you know, than us. And, and that makes us want to get more. And, um, you know, in another article that, that I wrote, I talked about in a very microcosm viewpoint, like we took this trip to Florida, um, gosh, that was still in 2021. So earlier this year, this emotional enough sometimes just crashes up through the established, um, enough line. And when it does, it creates all this sort of anxiety and, and, and greed and envy. And like the first time I noticed it was, we were just walking around this kind of high end Marina. Uh, and I joked about this yacht, but like there weren't, they weren't all $15 million yachts. You know, there were, some of them were only, you know, a half a million dollars, but like <laughs> there were really awesome boats and, you know, these families enjoying them. And I was walking around, I was like, man, like, are you sure you don't want to, um, you know, continue to grow your income to, to, to be able to afford something like that? Um, and it was relatively short lived, but like I noticed it, you know, in, in my head, but where it really hit stronger was later on in that trip, we visited some friends who lived in a different part of Florida and they're probably the most financially successful people that, um, that I know. And they, I wouldn't say they like boast in their lifestyle, but they certainly live a much higher lifestyle than what we live on. Um, yeah. and we stayed, you know, a couple of days with them and man, it like that emotional line, you know, went crazy up and, and it even started masquerading itself in, in a different ways of like, man, you're not providing for your wife in a way that she can afford, you know, to do this or look at these opportunities that their kids have that your kids, you know, don't have like, Look at the hospitality that you could provide, you know, to uh, your friends and, you know, your family if you were able to afford this lifestyle. And those ones stuck around for a while. And, like, I remember even driving home from their house, like, a little bit, like, not depressed, but, like, 
overly analytic and, and, and angst. I'm like, did, did I like make the right decision here? And you know, my wife's a rock star. And so I just brought it up to her and she just laughed and she's like, are you kidding me? Like I have zero desire, you know, to, to do those types of things. You know, they do like, it's great that we can go there and, and enjoy it. But you know, she brought me back down into a healthy place, but it really just reminded or I guess reminded me, but it was the first time I really understood this dynamic between these two types of enough where there's this emotional one that just ebbs and flows so much. It doesn't care what the spreadsheet says or the Monte Carlo. Like it's, it's just in the here and now. And I think that that third type is the one that probably unconsciously a lot of us fall subject to. And, and that's why we never get off the treadmill of earning more and more and more because we're just spending more and more and more. Um, and I think that's alarming. Um, look, if you want to make an intentional decision to just grow your income forever, like fine. I just don't think enough of us um, spend the analytical time to recognize, you know, what, what's going on here because that emotional one is just what completely drives, you know, it, it hijacks the system. That's so interesting. So do you, do you intentionally bring this up with your clients? Like, is this something that y'all discuss? I do. Um, and it, it's, it's, you know, it's about, it's with mixed results. Uh, you know, <laughs> some people, uh, they, I write a weekly letter to my clients. And so like, they, they know something I think a lot about. So some of them are kind of prepared and, we, and we've made like a lot of progress. Other ones are like, you know what, like at this stage in life, like I don't, even want to entertain, you know, that, that capacity or, or that thought. Um, and, uh, so there's definitely a wide spectrum of the responses to it, but the ones who are open to it, like there's so much meaningful conversations that, that come from that, you know, even if it's not a definitive action step, like, like I'm thinking of one of my clients, you know, extremely high income earner, really successful, um, uh, entrepreneur, He's like, look, like I understand, you know, what you're, what you're saying. And like, it, it's really helped my wife and I to, um, you know, be more purposeful with what the income is, uh, it's like, and at some point, you know, maybe we will taper things off, but I'm, I want to make, Hey, you know, why, why I can, and, you know, take, um, make the most of this opportunity. I was like, Hey, you know, that's, it's absolutely fine. I'm not telling you, you shouldn't, um, but I think it's planting seeds as far as him evaluating, you know, what is he really doing with this money? And what's been really cool is like, they've become way more generous than, you know, they've been in the past because we've helped them recognize like what enough is from a lifestyle standpoint. So they just started giving away, you know, excess. So where in my case, um, it was like, I'm going to stop growing, um, the income for like, for his case, it's like his income still going through the roof, but he's just dumping, you know, a ton of it into really cool causes that him and his wife are passionate about. That's really, that's really cool. I think that was, that's been one of my favorite pieces of retirement planning. Cause I think there's a lot of people in retirement that if, if they didn't feel anxiety before about paying their bills, mm. they all of a sudden find this anxiety about like, I don't know if I can give because I don't know if I'll have enough yep. left over. Like I don't mm -hmm. know if I'll have enough to to make it. And so uh, 
like one of my favorite parts of retirement planning is, you know, similar starting with what matters to them and asking those questions about charity and saying, hey, is there anything that that matters to your heart that at the end of your life you want to look back and say, I was a part of that and that made a difference in this world. And if that, if the answer to that question is yes, and I also told you that you could be a part of that without it affecting, you know, your financial security through the end of life, would you want to hmm. do that? And that has led to some really cool conversations with clients that, um, that I wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't have otherwise had. Yeah. So, no, I, I love how you phrase that. I'm probably going to borrow that. Um, <laughs> cause I, I, I'm a huge fan of what I call like every, everyone defining their own personal generosity philosophy. So like what giving looks like for someone, it looks different for somebody else. And, what somebody gives to is, is, you know, might not be attractive to give to somebody else. And like, that's fine. Like, but let's just be intentional, you know, about it. And I, I really like that question as far as how you get to the specifics of that. Yeah, cool. Well, tell me about now that we're on topic of charity, it looks like your shirt probably has something to do with charity. So <laughs> yeah, this is a buddy of mine, um, who I probably shouldn't name, but, um, they're looking at adopting, um, uh, cool. some children from, from Africa. And so they got these t-shirts and sweatshirts made up as a fundraising, um, event and, uh, adoption is something that we have not personally, um, done as, uh, as our family, we've, uh, you know, been highly blessed with four, you know, biological kids. Um, but I think adoption is one of the coolest manifestations of love, you know, that, that we can express, you know, and it doesn't have to be from third world countries like there's such a need in our, in our foster system and in the adoption system, you know, right here, um, stateside. Uh, so something that speaking of things that, you know, we care about is, is something that's you know near and dear to our heart. Um, and love to support my buddy who's, who's doing it in, in his life. Really cool. Really cool. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, uh, about enough and taking away myself just some uh, some things to personally reflect on. I think one of the things I appreciate most about this concept and the way that you've laid it out is that it, especially that third, uh, you know, that third emotional enough requires a good bit of self-reflection, self-awareness uh, to be able to identify that, you know, I'm being tugged by these emotional desires through you know, whatever situation I'm in right now. Uh, and so the, your, you know, your ability to kind of get in the car and go, okay, these are the things that I'm telling myself in my head uh, and identify those things is, I would say, fairly uncommon for someone. <laughs> it, <laughs> so, you know, I think it's cool that you're doing that and also something that as advisors we – you know, we have, we have an opportunity to give a gift to our client to, to be that feedback for them. If they're not self-aware, to be that piece of awareness for yeah. them as their advisor. Uh, have, are there any, any moments of, of that where you've been able to do that with a client that come to mind? Yeah. Um, and I mean, and just a quick caveat, you know, to that whole self-awareness, I, I struggle with like being overly self 
analytical, you know, and, and so like one of my good friends, uh, welcome to the introvert club, right? Um, <laughs> he, you know, we talk about this all the time. So he actually sent me a note. Uh, it says you got, you have to put this on your monitor and it was just the letters S T F U. Um, and maybe listeners can figure out what that meant as far as shutting some thoughts up in my, um, in my mind. He's like, you're, you're way too self-analytical, you know, over that. So I think there is a balance, you know, to be found um, with that. Uh, there's such thing as like a, a analysis paralysis where we just analyze so much we don't, you know, make any decision. But no. I do think self-awareness is, is a superpower. Um, mm-hmm. But can be, you know, overly harmful if we don't put any brakes on it. But to, to, the, you know, to, to your question of um, yeah. with, with clients... Yeah, I mean, there's, I, I think what's really, really cool about our profession is that if we're doing it how I would view it, you know, correctly, and we're helping people identify their values, and, you know, we're not just growing their net worth for the sake of growing their net worth, you know, we're not just doing asset allocation or tax planning or whatever our specialties might be. Like, if we're doing off the balance sheet, type planning and having off the balance sheet type conversations we're having discussions with them that nobody else is having in their life like their cpa doesn't get into you know the the, these nitty-gritties their attorney they don't see often enough to have you know this type of relationship if they go to church like their pastor doesn't talk about money you know with them their friends don't talk about money like we are in such an amazing opportunity to again, if we're doing this right, and if we're you know having building these relationships with our clients, we're in just an amazing, amazing space mm-hmm. to have those conversations. And like one of my favorite responses um, that you know that a client can make to me is like, "Huh, that's a really good question. Like um, I hadn't thought about that." Um, thought that yeah. And man, like like if I were to audit my meeting agendas of like what of a 60 or 90 minute meeting, like what was actually spent talking about hands-on asset allocation, cash flow decision, tax planning stuff. I mean, it might be 20%. Like it's, yeah. it's a vast majority and it doesn't always go perfectly, but like there's a certain intention that I want to bring to saying, all right, let's talk about the meat and let's talk about, um, you know, what's really, really important. And then how does money, you know, fit, fit into that um again what you said at the at the top of the interview of values and getting clear on our values is is really important i think an advisor can play a really critical role of helping clients get clear on those values and then call out when we don't necessarily see those values you know being manifested in um in their financial lives yeah what a what a what a power and a privilege I think we have, like you said, that just really, maybe probably nobody else in their life has, has the opportunity to impact. So right. if you don't have an advisor, maybe think about not just getting one to help you figure out what that, um, what that level of enough is from a retirement standpoint or from a lifestyle standpoint, but you know, someone that helps you really get down into your value system and and tie your money to your values. Mm-hmm. 
I think is something that you said was part of like the type of clients you work with. Like that's your focus. Yep. And if you are an advisor, I would strongly consider, or I'd strongly encourage you to consider, you know, what does enough look like in your own lifestyle and your own practice and your own firm? Uh, Because again, we are one of a handful of professions where, you know, we can dial that up or dial that down um, based on our own values, which is really awesome. This convo with Jeremy Walter on enough has changed me. Even though I consider myself a minimalist, the idea of truly defining what is enough and working toward that is something I will definitely be bringing into my planning practice and also my personal life. To connect with Jeremy on anything we discussed today or to find out more about his new one-page financial plan, which I'm so excited about, look him up on Twitter at Jeremy Walter or on LinkedIn as Jeremy Walter. And also you can find more information about him and his practice at www.fidentfinancial.com and more about his one-page financial plan at www.youronepagefinancialplan.com. Thanks for listening, friends. Now go lift heavy and be kind.